Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. We have a little bit of a diversion today that I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, we're going to be speaking in just a few minutes with Candace Cox Wheeler, who uh, has written a couple of books now that sort of uh, uh, the, the, the center of attention for those books is actually right here in coastal Mississippi. And we, I look forward to chatting with her shortly. Let me, uh, let me share a couple of quick things with you. My friend Susan Myers Griggs posted this, and I can honestly say that this does apply to me some days. And here's what she wrote. I think it's weird how some days I feel reasonably healthy, and other days I feel like I'm a busted can of biscuits. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. That was pretty good. That's true. I think as we grow older, we we have good days and bad days, and uh, I try to make all mine good days if I possibly can. Uh, I came across another uh, quote from Magic Johnson. And uh, I thought it really applies well to uh, a lot of the messages that, that we try to share here on Coast View. And here's what he said. There's winning and there's losing. And in life, you have to know uh, they both will happen. I, I think that's true. I mean, we talked about th- this with so many of the people that we talked to, that um, that when you have failures in your life, when you when you have adversity in your life, when you face the fact that maybe you didn't win as much as you wanted to, you learn from those situations and you make adjustments and you go forward. Certainly that applies to writers. I've been around Pulitzer Prize winning writers and editors throughout my career in media. And um, none of them will tell you that they landed perfectly the first time. You got to write a lot to be a good writer. And, uh, and that certainly is, uh, I think a message that our, that our guest today will certainly share but let me uh, bring Candace Cox Wheeler into the conversation. And first of all, I'll just say good morning to Candace, and then I'll give you a sense of uh, sort of where we're going with this conversation. Candace, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you for inviting me back. I'm looking forward to this talk today. Listen, uh, we had a terrific visit the first time we came together talking about your first book, Cradle in the Oak, which uh, was actually uh, sort of the, the turn or early 20th century in Mississippi Gulf Coast. So much history there. And you're a lawyer. You're you're a fourth generation 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 Biloxi and a native of Biloxi, and uh, now you're a novelist. But uh, but you're 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 no uh, stranger to doing your research. And and during your research on Cradle in the Oak, you actually found so much interesting history that was uh, that actually led to this book, uh, according to what I've read. And it it takes place about 23 years later. But before we get into the intrigue of the of your second uh, novel, which uh, which is very interesting, it's Roaring Twenties, it's Al Capone, it's all these things. Let's remind people a little bit about Cradle in the Oaks, and we'll and we'll sort of make the transition into your new book. But uh, fascinating book. Look forward to you sharing sort of the, the short story on that book. Okay, Cradle in the Oak was set in 1906. And you might recall that it was inspired by a true story about a woman who was my husband's grandmother, whose husband took off with the kids and she had to try to track them down 
at the turn of the century and it wasn't safe for a woman to travel. So she boarded a train and dressed as a man and went to go try to find her kids. And that's all we really knew from a newspaper clipping. It had a little picture of her dressed as a man and talked about what she did. So I had to take that little bit of information and it said it went, she went to the East Coast of Florida. So I took that and I took my research and looked at 1906 and came up with a story and put her in the middle of the seafood industry in Biloxi. And just the more I researched, the more interested I got in that particular era. And that's what started the first book. And uh, it's, a, it's an intriguing book with lots of twists and turns. And it's an interesting time in coastal Mississippi during that era, wasn't it? It was. It definitely was. There was a lot going on. We were a bustling economy. We were known as the seafood capital of the world. And it was just a real interesting period. So that was a really good place to start. A lot of the uh, lot of the history, as we talked about the first time, my wife's the Bahanovich, and you know this whole notion of the so many Slavonian families from that that fled Yugoslavia that came here and Croatian culture and all. It's a it's a it's a really great book. Hey, listen. So during your research, now you found some really intriguing things that said, "Wait a minute, this is this is another novel in the making." Talk about what you discovered and what led to your second novel. Okay, when I got ready to work on the second novel, I wanted to try to include the same family and move them forward in time and let the children be the main characters as far as what they were doing during that time period. So I decided to try to move to the Roaring Twenties because it's such an exciting time period. And on the coast, a lot was going on, especially in Biloxi, we had the first, the Sanger Theater opened in 1929. We had our first blessing of the fishing fleet in 1929. Uh, the Old Spanish Trail opened going from St. Augustine all the way to San Diego, which brought a lot of tourists into our area. And um, we were known as America's Riviera at that time. So I decided 1929 is going to be my year. And I didn't just stick with Biloxi. I went all along the coast. I have a lot in there about um, things that happened in Bay St. Louis, and we had motorboat racing going on at the Yacht Club over there, and there's a scene that includes that. And I have things in Long Beach and things in Ocean Springs where Al Capone had a second home. So it was the time period I felt like we needed to look at some more and see if we could come up with a story. So you did. You came up with a story, and you called it Squall in the Gulf. Mm -hmm. talk, talk to me about the title and what inspired you about it. Okay. Um, Ricky, I know you fish a lot, so I know that you've probably been caught in the Squall in the Gulf. I have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know how a perfectly clear day can turn into one of the most frightening days in your life. And I think when I've been caught in that situation, and those stories – that's what we call squall, squall stories, linger. And we find ourselves sharing them with friends years later, just like the hurricane stories. So I kind of looked at that title and I thought, you know what? I'm going to do this title because it's something that changes our life in an instant and it creates a memory that lingers, which is kind of the theme that goes along with my story this time in this book. Very tumultuous, I guess, at, at times is, is what it's suggesting. A lot of intrigue. You know, if you look back at the history of Biloxi, the connection, even back in the Roaring Twenties, to the to the um, uh, organized crime 
and its connection to places like Chicago and New York. Um, there, there's, there's a lot there to write about, isn't there? Yeah, and one of the things that fascinated me in my research was there were three cities that kind of connected themselves in the history of that time period, and they were the Gulf Coast, New Orleans, and Chicago. And um, Louis Armstrong went from New Orleans to Chicago at the age of 21, and um, Al Capone, of course, with his connection to the coast, Chicago, to Biloxi, Ocean Springs, that area. So those three cities all have scenes in this novel because of their connection. And we also had um, a train from Chicago that would come down the Illinois Central Railroad and it would land at the, um, or disembark rather, at the Edgewater Gulf Hotel, which was designed and built by architects out of Chicago. So there's a lot of connections between the coast and Chicago. I remember, I remember so well when they um, imploded that with dynamite. Right. <laughs> and uh, we all came to, you know, Edgewater and along along the roads there, and families full of like our my, my mother and father and my family in the station wagon, you know, waiting for the countdown. Um, a, a lot of history went away in that moment. That's for sure. You know, it's interesting, and when we we'll come back and on the other side of this, when we get on the other side of the break, and we will ha have a conversation about, um, you know, the the interesting parts of our history back in those days, and see, um, you know, ultimately, um, the the kind of inspiration that that provided for you. But it was a it was a dynamic time for for coast of Mississippi, wasn't it? It was, and I can't wait to tell you about the Rum Runners and the Isle of Capri. <sighs> Wow. And, you know, every time I pass, every time I pass that portion between between Ship Island and Horn Island, where where there's it's basically flats now to think about what used to be there and how dynamic it was. And it was a it was an interesting time in, in Biloxi's history. I mean, you know what? You go back in time. History. The history of Biloxi is incredibly interesting and it's, it's super dynamic and. It wasn't until like Hurricane Camille <laughs> that we that we uh, really started to to move in a different different direction, you know. But up until then, and of course, I know that Keesler many times tried to do everything they could to stop, you know, the the illegal liquor and the gambling and all, you know, the other stuff that was part of our uh, part of the, that moment. But it's uh, you know I've talked about it here on Coast View before. It's just you know, I love talking about it because it's such an interesting. You know, it was a, it was a really, it was really the Riviera. It really, truly was the Riviera, uh, Riviera of the Gulf at that at that moment. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Candace Cox William, uh, Willie, Will Wheeler, excuse me. And we've had, uh, she's written two books. We've uh, discussed the first book, uh, Cradle in the Oak, and then her most recent book, Squall in the Gulf. And we're having a conversation about that dynamic point in history for coastal Mississippi. We'll be back after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Candace Wheeler, and uh, she is a novelist. She's actually 
a lawyer. She's uh, part of the law firm uh, uh, Wheeler and Wheeler. That's that's her day job, and she's done that for quite a while. Uh, she studied journalism and political science, and uh, ultimately got a law degree. And she's always had a passion for writing. If you go back and look, she wrote, for example, at the Student Prince at the at Southern Miss at one point, if I remember that correctly. But what's uh, what's interesting about the way she goes about it? You know, she's got the mind of a of a of a lawyer uh, who has to go into the courtroom and make her arguments. So her ability to research and focus on the details is is I think one of one of her calling cards. She's now written her second book, and it's it's uh, positioned not just in Biloxi. It's not it, it, as she was just pointing out. It's there's it's a little bit wider net than that, but. And in the Roaring Twenties in 1929, when this book takes takes place, it's an incredibly dynamic time for coastal Mississippi. And why don't we do this, Candace? Take a few minutes and just tell people what life was like in those days. Talk about sort of how your book, the position of your book in terms of what it was like to live in that moment. Okay. Um, well, in my book, I start out with the character, the main character in the book. It's just returning from the Great War. Actually, it had been 11 years earlier. And she was a war correspondent. And she returned with an injury and a lot of bad memories. And it, it stopped her from being able to write and go on with her profession. She was married to a doctor who wrote prescriptions for medicinal alcohol and made a whole lot of money. And they were living up in Chicago at the time. And um, I don't know if you knew this, but during that time period, um, there were over 11 million prescriptions being written a year by doctors for medicinal alcohol. And they were making $40 million adding to the economy each year. So she yeah, was- By the way, by the way, I can't help but think about medical marijuana <laughs> and- <laughs> You saw where liquor ended up going, so I think the, the, you know we'll, re, history will repeat itself as it relates to that. But I'm sure you thought about that too, didn't you? Right, and it and back in that time period, if you can imagine, it was so easy. I mean, the doctors would write prescriptions for all kinds of ailments. You could go in with a headache, and they'd give you some pres- a prescription for medicinal alcohol. So it was a way of getting around prohibition. So that's how the story opens. But she has a connection with a lot of people on the coast, and she ends up on the coast. And during that time period, Mardi Gras was going on in full swing. And they'd be at the Tivoli Hotel and the Buena Vista. And, uh, of course, you'd have the parade downtown, and you'd have the Coast Guard that would bring the boats in for the Mardi Gras festivities, just like we do today as far as, you know, the boat and the getting off and starting the parade. A lot of that has carried on through our history. And um, so you get into that, you get into Mardi Gras, you get into the Isle of Capri, one of the main character, well, the main character from my first book, her son, one of her sons is a captain on an excursion boat. And Pete Skirmata had a an excursion boat during this time period, also the Pan American that would take people to the Isle of Capri. And they had over 40,000 visitors a year going out to that island from all over the United States. They'd come down to Biloxi, get on a boat and head out to the Isle of Capri where they could gamble, they could drink, they could dance to the music. They had a restaurant on the island and it was just a fun place for them to go in addition to the festi- festi- festivities that they could do here on the Gulf Coast. 
So we get into all of that. And um, the Coast Guard, of course, was really big on the coast because they were trying to track down the rum runners. And the rum runners would head over to Cat Island. I don't know if you're familiar. Cat Island has an area called Good Scotch Point. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Al Capone would meet some of his rum runners over there. So even that gets into the book. Yeah, you know, of course, we know the story well that um, you had a situation where Al Capone had a house in Ocean Springs. Right. And he would often use a boat from his backyard to to do the rum running, wouldn't he? Right. And it was on Government Street and Davis Bayou was in the back. And his um, the guys that he worked with would stay at the Gulf Hills Hotel. And, um, you know, that's not if, if you're familiar with Davis Bayou and where Gulf Hills Hotel, it's not really close on the water to those two places. You kind of have not, to, yeah. to, to get to them. But um, that's where they stayed. And so I have scenes with the Gulf Hills Hotel and with Al Capone and his place on Davis Bayou. Well, you know, it's so interesting because in my conversations with the, the, the uh, chef at White Pillars, he and his wife, have done such a good job bringing the white pillars back. That they've got a bar in there that uh, Al Capone has is rumored to have uh, drank at, and then of course uh, Roxy Condry and her husband are are restoring Gulf Hills as we speak, and have really gotten deep into the history of Gulf Hills. And of course Al Capone's name is, you know, obviously ever present there, and of course so many other celebrities in that moment. But Gulf Hills had a had a really important position in sort of the overall um, uh, experience of of the coast at that moment, didn't it? It did. It did. And it was also built by, like I said, a company out of Chicago, the Braniger Brothers, and they were supposed to have a connection with Al Capone. So all of that just, you know, put us where we are today. And I hope that Gulf Hills continues to flourish and build because that is a very important part of our history, especially in the Ocean Springs area. Yeah, they've got a uh, they've got a great vision for it. Uh, she's been on my show and we've talked about it. We actually have her coming back on for a whole show. We're going to go all the way through this intricate effort that they've gone through to understand the history of it. And you know, they're creating at Gulf Hills, literally, a um, a place, a resort, essentially a resort that families can go to. And, uh, you know, they're going to, they're bringing it back and they're going to, they, it's going to be a special place. I mean, they got, they're investing a lot of money and making it really one of the, one of the really important spots in that part. And not just, not, ocean, not just Ocean Springs and the Cuffields areas, but, but for coastal Mississippi. And uh, it, it'll be cool to see that come back to life. You know, anytime we can sort of dig up and remind ourselves about this great connection coast of Mississippi has to the rest of the world, it's always interesting to do that. You know, one of the things that was very central to the time, early early 1900s and then, of course, in 1929, is that, you know, Biloxi was really one of the, the seafood capitals of certainly the United States, but maybe even the world. I, I know they made that claim at some point along the way, but... But it, that that part of the of the economy for for coastal Mississippi was ubiquitous in your research, wasn't it? It was, and I even you know found out that some of our seafood industry um, schooners that had been converted at that point in time with motors were also making some of our rum running trips out to the Gulf. I mean, we had to supply everyone. There was a. a you know, a big demand for alcohol, not just on the coast, but all throughout the United States. 
and we had the rum coming in from there. We had the moonshine that was happening in Kiln, which was the moonshine capital of the world. So all of that comes together and makes the coast what it is and our history so interesting. It does make it. Hey, did you ever realize again you you were always involved in research as a as an effective lawyer but did you ever think that you would become sort of a historian for coast of mississippi as you write your terrific fictional stories I, that's my one of my goals ricky i think that um we're losing so much of our history that when i go talk to groups i make them think back to something they remember from their early childhood or something that their grandparents told them and to realize the importance of history and to hopefully share that with their grandchildren that, so that we can preserve it for the future. So I think that I have become a little bit of a historian and I, that's a good thing. I hope that that is something that I can maybe, you know, continue to move in that direction. There's a, you don't want to lose it. You don't want to lose yeah. those stories. And it's so interesting. It's really still so many people still alive today that have a great connection back to those to those days and so many second generation french and uh again croatians and others that have had such a great impact here in coastal mississippi the scrametta family obviously you you, you mentioned it in the schooner that they had or, or the the ferry that they had and of course i've had i've had lewis on the show a couple of times and we've talked great you know greatly about this generational business and some things, some things don't change, and some things completely change. <laughs> and uh, the things that completely change, we don't want to get so focused on them that we lose sight of our roots and what may, again, what made some of some of the, our history. We're not, we're not going to be so proud of, but it's still super interesting, isn't it? It is, it is, and there's a lot there to to look at. I could write books probably for the next ten years, and you know, get into more history. I am actually. Starting my research now on the third book. Wow, that's that's great. Well, look, we'll yeah. have you back to talk about that. Hey, real quick, less than a minute left. Tell people how they can get your book. Okay, you can get your book. I like to try to have my book at places along the coast that will help those particular museums or places. It's at the Biloxi Visitor Center. It's at the Seafood, the uh, Maritime and Seafood Industry Museum, Lynn Meadows um, Discovery Center. You can find it also at some stores along the coast, Hillier House, Dust Ports, and um, Bay Books, and, of course, on Amazon. Well, well, thank Candace. It's been a pleasure to catch back up with you. Good luck with your book. I look forward to reading it, and uh, we'll, we'll touch base with you soon. Okay, thank you. This has been Candace Cox-Wheeler, a, a novelist here from coastal Mississippi. When we come back, we have Jeff Duncan. for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.